You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today, we have a special guest missionary with us. Let's prepare our hearts as our guest missionary brings forth God's truths from his word today. So much has happened. The world has changed since we were here last. As a matter of fact, um, we were here, and what happened was I had, um, I did a, a podcast with Ben, livecast, and that would have been Wednesday afternoon, and I was going to speak here on Wednesday night. And as we were finishing the podcast, I we were in one room, and my phone was out on a table in the other room. And the whole time during the podcast, it kept vibrating. And I thought, oh, man, that thing is blowing up. And that would have been Wednesday, and by Thursday, the world had changed forever. We had canceled fine arts. We had canceled everything. And we just entered a whole new world. But the good news is the Lord is here. And the Lord is in this new world, and so we as Christians have nothing to fear. We have a couple of uh, new things that I want to show to you that I think will be a blessing to you, that I know will be a blessing to you. As many of you know, Sue's book um, on her journey with cancer is out. Many of you have uh, availed yourself of this. It's a great encouragement to anybody uh, who just needs that encouragement of somebody who's gone on a journey and the Lord was faithful every step of the way. And I would encourage you to get that. Since I was here the last time, I've put into print the book Stories and Stones. And this book is the narrative of the tours that we take when we go to Washington, D.C. I was giving a tour and one of the last ladies off the bus looked at me and said, I want every word you said in a book. So the next two tours that I gave, I wore a microphone, no shorts in the wires, and uh, listened to myself. Have you ever listened to your uh, voice recorded on a tape or whatever? And so I put that together, and it's something that I think is important because as we're tearing down monuments, as we're seeing the world uh, forget the history that we have. I think it's important that that be memorialized. So please feel free to avail yourself of that. And then I think the most important thing that's back there is our prayer card. We are so thankful that you pray for us. We're thankful that uh, you love us and you uh, just encourage us in so many ways. So please feel free to take one of the prayer cards and remember to pray for us on a regular basis. Paul says, brethren, pray for us. The most important thing you can do for any missionary that you have is to remember them in prayer. Uh, It's a very humbling experience. If you have your Bibles this morning for Sunday school, you please turn with me to Psalm 78. I just want to talk about some thoughts on Christian education. I was talking to a man who attended a seminar one time, and the keynote speaker gave a message on the philosophy of Christian education, as if there were only one. And afterwards, they had question and answer time, and at this huge, massive, air quotes, Christian school convention, the keynote speaker gave a message on the philosophy of Christian education, and when he finished, there was questions, and somebody says, you are very definitive in your views on Christian education. How do your views line up with the school that your children are in? And he said, well, uh, uh, my kids are in a very good public school. Can we do that? Can we live one thing, say one thing, and live something else? I think there needs to be an alignment of our expectations. And so in Psalm 78, we're going to talk about some thoughts on Christian education today. The psalmist says these words for our edification. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. 
I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and have known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might make them known even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Then verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would just empty ourself of ourself. I pray that everything that we say and do would bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we need you this morning, and I would just ask that you would help us and use us for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Edgar Guest, one of my favorite poets, gave us a poem entitled The Bridge Builder. And it says very simply, an old man going a lone highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim, the sullen stream held no fears for him, but stopped when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a fellow pilgrim near, you are wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build you this bridge at eventide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, on the path I have come today, he said, there followed after me a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm which has been at naught to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. The premise of our Sunday school message this morning is, what are we doing to help the next generation as Psalm 78 and verse 7 says, that they might set their hope in God? Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Why is he saying, Give ear, O my people? Why is he saying, Listen to me? The reason that I think he's saying, Listen to me, is because there's so many voices in the world that tell this generation and the next, Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. We are at a place in human history where we have never been before where a person can ruin their life with the device that they hold at the end of their hand. There's voices there. There's thoughts there. There are philosophies there that can ruin a person for the ministry and for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And too often in this world, we get thick with thin things. Let me ask you a question. Who won the Super Bowl nine years ago? I don't know. Who won the World Series seven years ago? I don't know. If you guessed the Patriots or the Yankees on either one of those, you had a 50-50 chance of getting it right. But we become thick within things, and the Lord is saying, give ear, O my people, listen to me. No. I've had the privilege on a number of occasions of being in hospice, in ICU, listening to a person who is transitioning from this world to the next, and I've never heard that person making the transition from this world to eternity and say something like, I wish I had spent more time playing Angry Birds. 
I wish I had drafted Adrian Peterson for my fantasy football league. No, you know what they say? They say, I wish I had spent more time with my family. Wish I would have spent more time in the Word. I heard a man who was a counselor at a Christian camp on his deathbed said to his wife, I wish I had been a better Christian. The things that he was capable of controlling, that he had power over, his time, his talents, his treasure, and he wished he would have done more for the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are teachers, whether we think we are or not. Every single person we come in contact learns something from us. They see us as an example. I mean, think about this. When the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth, and people wanted to get his attention, as he walked through a crowd, as he walked along the wayside, and somebody called out to him, do you remember what title they used more often than not? Master, teacher. And it would get his attention. And he would address the questions that they had. You and I are setting examples for others. When Robert E. Lee lived in what's now Arlington House, Lee Custis House at the pinnacle of, of Arlington National Cemetery, a fresh snow had fallen over the grounds. And he was walking from the house to one of the outbuildings. And as he walked to one of the outbuildings, in this freshly fallen snow, he heard something behind him. And he looked, and it was his son trying to keep in his father's footsteps. That night, Robert E. Lee wrote in his diary this. He said, when I saw this, my son trying to stay in my footprints, I said to myself, it behooves me to walk very straight when this fellow is already following in my tracks. If somebody followed your tracks, where would it lead them? What direction would you send that person to? What would they learn from your life? In Christian education, our Christian school teachers, our administrators, our pastors say something that is the most difficult thing one person can say to another person, and that's this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Folks, that's sobering. We can't stand in front of young people. We can't look parents in the eye and say, I want your children, I want you, class, to do as I say, not as I do. We live a life that it should be an example. The poet Edgar Guest also had another poem, and it's amazing, but it's, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should show me than merely tell the way. The eye's a better teacher, very clever to behold. But I learn better by following your example rather than what's told. We teach by example. That's the only way we can possibly teach. The Puritans, one of their favorite maxims was, the father is the mirror by which the child dresses himself. The child wants to see what a man looks like, looks at his dad. Father wants to see what a godly woman is, takes the example from the mom. And our example in the Psalms is what are we doing that the next generation will set their hope in God. Now, as you know, as your missionary to Lansing and then also to Washington, D.C., I spend, when the capitals are open, 
I spend a good deal of time with our elected officials and in turn meet some people that are not exactly friendly towards Christian education. I will never forget, I testified before the Michigan House Committee on Education talking about the necessity of just teaching fundamental values and even though I was primarily addressing what would be taught in the government schools, there's still a number of good, godly people who through no fault of their own, their children have to attend a government school. And I was talking about the contrast between Christian education, what we're able to do, and what's done in the government schools. After I finished my testimony, I was at a restaurant having a sandwich, and a lady came up to me and she said, I heard your testimony in the House Education Committee. And she said, I know that you're with those private schools, code for you're all rich, your parents are rich, your teachers are rich, it's a private school, little did she know. And she said, but I've got a question for you. In your private schools, how do your kids compete in the real world? And I've heard that on a number of different occasions. And in the past, I would always get defensive about that. I would say things like, well, our kids, they, they get accepted in the colleges that they want to go to. They get accepted in the military academies. They're, they're uh, premier in the things that they, that they do in life. As a matter of fact, a number of years ago, in the Situation Room, which is four stories below the west wing of the White House, there's an access code that opens the door so that the president or vice president can get into this safe room in event of a national emergency. And the person who had the code to that access door to open the door for the president or the vice president was a Max graduate. I thought, they probably made it in life. But I understand what this person is saying because if you compare the government schools gymnasiums to our gymnasiums, Compare the government school's science lab to our science lab. Compare the government school's computer lab to our computer lab. How in the world could somebody compete in that? And the reality of it is, as I thought through this, that's not the best answer, comparing what our students, how they get accepted. The best answer is this. When the question is asked, how do Max, how do Christian school students do in the real world, the best answer is this. In the real world, there is truth and it is knowable. In the real world, there's heaven to be gained and hell to be shunned. In the real world, every single one of us one day will stand before a thrice holy God and give account of ourselves for what we've done in this world. So let me turn the question around. How do our peers in the government schools do in the real world. Where since 1962, prayer has been banned. Since all of these um, court cases and injunctions have come about, they've all but asked God to leave the public schools. So how do our peers in the government schools do as opposed to in the real world? Oftentimes I'm asked, But in a Christian school, there's things that our students just won't get. And I say, praise the Lord for that. Can I tell you some things that our kids won't get in the Christian schools? They won't get evolution as fact. Millions and billions of years ago. When I was in in college, back when they still had wood-burning typewriters, back in the Stone Age, 
I was a history major, if you didn't know. And one of our history books said, the very first line of the history book was, when the world began from the Big Bang five million years ago. Right, so this is, year, this is not all that long ago. I mean, it's in my lifetime. I read it. And the professor said, the amazing thing about that line is this is like the fifth or sixth edition of the printing of it. The previous printing was just two years ago, and the first line of the book was, when the world began with the Big Bang three million years ago. So in the mind of our historians, in just two or three years, the world aged an extra two million years. And now you listen to the experts and they say, we're not in the millions of years anymore, we're in the billions of years anymore. It's just so much simpler if you turn to page one in your Bible. And the, world, and the word says, in the beginning. If you can believe the first four words of it, the rest of it is easy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the problem with the secularists is it's not that we believe in God. Many of them believe in God of some sort. The problem they have with us is we believe God. We believe what he has said in his word. We believe that forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So one of the things students won't get in a Christian school is they won't get evolution as fact. And when you stop and you think about it, if you remember back in, in class, the scientific method was questioning the data, making sure that all of the data comes to the proper conclusion, not just accepting by, by blind faith that whatever someone said is fact. Another thing that they will not get in a Christian school is secular humanism. Secular humanism, man is the measure of all things. Man is the standard bearer for everything that is supposed to happen in the world. And that's where we get the philosophy of, well, that's what you believe. And the, unpart, the unspoken part of that is, I believe something different and we're both right. Is it possible for two things, for two people to believe opposite things and both of them be right? Two people can believe the same thing and both of them can be wrong, but two people cannot believe, one believes, oh, there's many ways to get to heaven. The other one believes there is one way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. One is right and one is wrong. And what we have in society today is culture by consensus. What everybody agrees on, that's the new standard for the culture. And that's where you get the, the cancel culture. That's where you get all of the things that we see in society today. You'll not get that in a Christian school. What you'll get is there is truth. It is knowable. And the truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. And truth is not up for debate. We can't debate on whether there's Ten Commandments or not. We can't debate on things that God has revealed to be true. Another thing that you'll not get in the Christian school is the philosophy of socialism, the philosophy that whatever you have, I'm entitled to. No. The Bible talks about in Micah chapter 4 and verse 4, every man will sit under his own vine and his own fig tree. We're entitled to private property. We're entitled to make a profit. We're entitled to share from our profit. As a matter of fact, if you read some of the old Puritan sermons, they used to have three points in the Puritan sermon. And number one, you glorify God when you work, since work is a gift from God, you glorify God when you work as hard as you possibly can. 
That was the first point of the sermon. You do as much as you can for as long as you can, and you help as many people as you can. The second part of the sermon was, then you have an obligation to save as much as you possibly can. To store up for a rainy day. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children would be their principle. And then the third sermon was, after you've earned all you can, after you've saved all you can, then you have an obligation as a Christian to give all that you can. You don't give until it hurts. You give because it feels good. You give because God has given it to you. Stop and think about it, folks. Do you and I have one thing that the Lord did not give us? Every single thing, right down to Psalm 150, the very breath in our lungs is a gift from God. Sometimes people will say, well, God took his life away. No, God didn't take his life away. God stopped giving him the gift of breath for today. God took that gift away from him. Every single day is a gift. Oftentimes, I've been asked, well, why would somebody place their child in a private school and pay tuition when they can go to a government school, to a public school, and it's free? Is there anything that's truly free in this world? It'll cost them something, and it does cost them something. And the answer as to why somebody would place their child in a Christian school, why they would homeschool, why they would attend Sunday school, is so that they could get the things that are woefully lacking in other schools. And those things would be the Bible and character. In our Christian schools, in our home schools, in our Bible studies, in our Sunday schools, what we try to do as best as we can is the Bible is the primary textbook. The Bible is the primary reference point for mathematics, for science, for English, for history. Think about it. Does the Bible say anything about mathematics? There's a book called Numbers. Does the Bible say anything about science and creation? Yes. Does the Bible say anything about English? Yes. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Use the gift of speech that you've been given. The Bible is basically, when you think of it, and I see this very clearly, that the Bible is a history book. The Bible, it was not given to us as a didactic schematic of do this, 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 and this. What it is, it's biographies. We can study the Bible from the, the stories of Adam and then the patriarchs and then the time of judges. It's all told as a biographical story, and each story gives lessons of life that are fantastic. And so the Bible is the primary textbook in our Christian schools and in our classrooms. Also... One of the things that we try to encourage in our Christian schools is character. In 2021, does America need an infusion of character? Standing up for what's right, honoring parents, doing the right thing because it's the right thing. How about a very simple thing of just keeping your word? Doing what you say you're going to do. Keep a finger in Psalm 78. I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 23. Oh, that book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. 
Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. God has given us this word. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? What this says is, God does everything he says he's going to do. Remember after the Lord rose from the tomb, rose from the grave, the disciples said, he is not here, he is risen as he said. And we live in a society today where people treat words like toys, something to be played with. And they will say things that they never intend on following up. If you do a character study, the definition of dependability is doing what I consented to do even if it means unexpected sacrifice. If I said it, I'm obligated to do it. Psalm 15 talks about the fact that a person who's a person of character swears to do it and does it even if it's to their own hurt, even if it costs them something. One of the reasons I love Psalm 17 is when Thomas Jefferson, or Psalm 15 is when Thomas Jefferson was president of the United States. A young man wrote to him and said, President Jefferson, what advice do you have for me for living my life or directing my life? And Thomas Jefferson wrote back and he said, young man, I think you would do well to pattern your life and to guide your life after King David's Psalm 15. And you read Psalm 15, who shall dwell in thy tabernacle, who shall dwell on thy holy hill, and it gives all the character traits of somebody who is godly, does what they say they're going to do, lives with integrity. When I was in the business world, one of the things that I, I did the hiring and the firing for part of the company that I was with, and one of the things I would always say when I was hiring somebody is, what we look for in our company is an alignment of expectations. And by that I mean, I will be everything I say to you that I am. I will do everything that I say that I'm going to do. I won't disappoint you. That means if I can't do it, I won't say it. But if I say it, I'll do it. And by, by contrast, the converse side of the same coin is, I want you to be everything you say you are. I want you to keep your word to do what you say you're going to do. How many times is trust broken when somebody says something and then they don't follow up? Because we listen to what they say. We listen to the words that they give. And if they don't follow up and if they don't do what they say they're going to do, then we have a tendency the next time of being a little bit hesitant, gun shy as it were. Or we start to question, did you really mean, now did you say you're going to do this? Character is doing what you say you're going to do. The word is the deed. Do what you say you're going to do. Another thing that we ask our young people to do is understand that when they read the Bible, they need to read the Bible with understanding, knowing that every word of this precious book is from God. Every word is for our edification. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But then also to be able to write with clarity. I don't know if any of you have read much of what, and I hate to camp out here, but we've lost a capacity to put a linear thought on paper. Some of the incoherence that's out there, if you read some of the things, it's like, that sense, not, not only does it have subject-verb disagreement, there's pronoun antecedent that doesn't make sense, and you need to learn to write with clarity. 
and then to live biblically, to live a life that brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that we're passionate about Christian education, if you think about the movement of Christian education, it, it really gained traction in the late 60s and early, in early 1970s. And the Christian schools were not started because Johnny couldn't read. The Christian schools were started because there was a philosophy of education out there contrary to everything that is said in this pulpit on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And you have to live the truth. We can't compartmentalize our Christianity to just Sunday. We live our truth in a world that desperately needs to hear it. So looking at Psalm 78, verse 3, it says, We have heard and have known our fathers have told us the primary educator in the home in education should be the father. And that is true. The unfortunate thing is most fathers teach just autobiographically. Every time something happens, it reminds them of a story of their life that they just need to tell you about. And sometimes, because dads have a very short-term memory, they repeat the same thing over and over. Sometimes they'll say, have I ever told you about? Our youngest daughter was probably the one who was the most blunt with me on areas like this. And I would say, did I ever tell you about the time? And I'd start the story and she'd go, Okay, you heard it before, but it's still applicable. The lesson of life is there. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. And the whole idea of that passage is it goes back to a custom that the Hebrew mothers had with their infant children. As they were taking the children and getting them weaned off milk and to take their first solid food, what the mother would do is she would take a sample of what they were going to eat. She would chew it in her mouth and break it up. Then she would take it from her tongue and place it on her child's tongue. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Train up a child. Give that child a taste of the things that are good and right and proper. We will not hide them from this generation, showing the generation to come the praises of the Lord that they might set their hope in God. Some people would say, but... I don't have the platform to be a great Christian educator. Let me tell you the story of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in Boston, Massachusetts. One Sunday, a young man came into his class, a little bit rough, hadn't had all the training and polish that others have had, sat down in the Sunday school class, and Edward Kimball said, our lesson today is from the Gospel of John. And the young man picked up the closed Bible that was there, never having had a Bible, and frantically looked for the Gospel of John. Couldn't find it. Edward Kimball took his open Bible, the Gospel of John, and handed it to the young man and took the young man's closed Bible and proceeded to teach the lesson. Following Saturday, Edward Kimball was sitting at his, at his kitchen table studying for his lesson. As he bent over his Bible, preparing the lesson, he suddenly felt constrained to call on that young man that was in his Sunday school class. And he said, oh yeah, he told me he, he works at Holcomb Shoe Store in downtown Boston. And so Edward Kimball, feeling the prompting of the Lord, got up from his kitchen table, made his way down to downtown Boston. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. Sometimes when you start to think about what the Lord wants you to do, 
and you start to debate in your mind, what if I walk in there and the other employees make fun of that young man because I'm trying to make a good boy out of them, out of him? He's thinking to himself, what if I go in there and the employer is upset with me because I'm taking the young man away from his work while I talk to him? And as he's having these, this mental debate, he walks right past Holcomb's shoe store. He makes up his mind, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to talk to that young man. He walked into the store, saw the young man in the back of the store stocking, shelving shoes, and he walked behind the counter, placed his hand on his shoulder, and made a plea for his soul. Edward Kimball recalled that it was a very weak plea indeed. Years later, D.L. Moody recounted the story this way. He said, when I was in Boston, I used to attend a Sunday school class. And one day I recollect my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop where I was at work in, put his hand on my shoulder and talked to me about Christ and my soul. I had not felt I had a soul till then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man who never saw me till lately, and he is weeping over my sins, and I never shed a tear about them. But I understand now what it is to have a passion for men's souls, to weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said, but I can feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. It was not long after that I was brought into the kingdom of God. Very few people know who Edward Kimball is. Every single person in this room knows who D.L. Moody is. One biography of D.L. Moody said that D.L. Moody personally lifted the little island of England, the continent of the United States, and presented them as trophies to God's grace in his preaching. Another unsaved biographer of D.L. Moody said D.L. Moody personally depleted the ranks of hell by over a million souls all because one person had a passion, had compassion for someone else. The question this morning is, what are we doing that this next generation will set their hope in God? You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.